Matthew chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. The title this morning is The Reverence of the Magi. The Reverence of the Magi. Now, as we begin a new chapter, we're going to see how Satan was not finished with his attack against the Son of God, and he tried to destroy him even after his birth. Uh, Satan never gives up. He's, he's persistent, as a lot of us know. And this is something we must never forget in our own lives. Satan's very persistent. He's not going to give up with you. He's going to find that, that chink in your armor. Okay? That's why we've got to be diligent. Now, he tried his best to destroy the kingly line of David. We saw that last week and the week before. And if it weren't for the sovereignty of God, he would have succeeded. All right. Now, this morning, as we begin this chapter, this second chapter here of Matthew, we will look and see that even though he failed in preventing the birth of our Lord, that he still did not give up. He's still on the loose. He, all throughout the gospel, uh, uh, through these gospels here, and especially the one we're studying, he's he's not giving up. He's he's working hard to to try and prevent what God has wanted to get done, and that is to save his people. So this morning as we begin chapter 2, we're going to see that even though he did fail, uh, that God still made a way. He still provided a way. He made a way for, uh, for uh, Joseph and, and Mary to, to continue on with their child. And we're going to see that God's efforts uh, can't be uh, overturned, even by Satan. And this morning, I hope that you've read the chapter so that you're familiar with it. Um, and with that, I hope that you're familiar with what we're about to talk about. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. I can't remember if I, if I said that or not, but uh, I hope that you're familiar with these so you can kind of keep up with this this morning. I know here in the first few chapters, we may, we may look over quite a bit of, chat, uh, a bit of verses to begin with, uh, which we normally don't do that in, the, in our uh, normal sermons, but that's fine. Uh, they, they tell a pretty good story for each. It takes a little bit more verses here to tell the story than it does in some of the epistles and whatnot, but that's fine. Um, let's go ahead and pray. We'll get started this morning. Father, I need your strength. I need your help, Lord. I can already tell, Lord, that uh, my mind is, is, uh, is not 100% this morning for whatever reason. I ask, Father, for your strength, uh, for your, uh, the Holy Spirit's help in preaching your word. Help me to, to keep me out of the sermon and keep you in it, Father. I pray, Father, for your help. I pray, Father, that the, you open the hearts and minds of the people this morning to hear your word, to receive your word, to, to obey your word, Father, and follow you, Lord. I ask for your strength this morning. We need you. We're needy people, Father. As Brother Scott said, there's so much wicked out there in this world. Uh, we need something when we come to church, Lord, to get us through those tough times during the week. We need uh, some, some rest from this world while we're here, Lord. We need some, uh, some guidance while we're here. We need an instruction, Father. Give us these things. Give us the encouragement that we need that we can go back out in the world and, and, and battle uh, the things of this world once again when we leave here. Father, bless as only you can in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I've got four points here. The first one being an expedition to see the king. An expedition to see the king. This is verses 1 and 2. It says here, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, 
there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, from the very first verse here, we can learn something important. All right. Uh, now, I want you to listen very carefully. These magi were not Jews, uh, nor were they from Israel. These were not local people. All right. Uh, they weren't locals uh, just coming into town here. Uh, they were from the east, from far country. All right. They had no idea uh, who, who these Jews were or anything like that. They, uh, they didn't have anybody that they knew there. But they came to Jerusalem. And a question kind of arises here. How would they know about the coming king of the Jews? If, the, if, they, if they not have relatives there, they, they're not from that area, that part of the world. They're from the east. They're, they're way off. They come to Jerusalem, the city of the Jews there. How would they know to come there? And then how would they know about a coming king? Something that's only recorded in the Jews' uh, uh, book. There are Torah there. That leads me to another thing that, that we can think about. It's truly possible to find a Christian in places where you never expect to see one. Just like here, uh, it could be you can find a Christian come from a foreign land that, that you would never have thought Christians were at. Uh, uh, especially with travel today. We have, uh, and that's a, that's a good thing about Greensboro. Greensboro is a melting pot of, of different um, uh, people, uh, different cultures, different people. You, you, you go to Greensboro, you can, you can meet people from all parts of the world, literally, literally. That's the thing about Greensboro. There, there's, no, there's really no majority here. That, that you can really speak of. There's, there's so, many, so many different types of uh, people that are here. And uh, that's possible today that you can actually find Christians of, of different backgrounds like that. But let me startle you for a moment. Let me go a little bit deeper here. And I'd say that it is possible to find a Christian within a Catholic church. Now you say, well, the society calls Catholicism uh, Christian. I know, I know they call them Christians, but I'm talking about Christians like you and I would call them. Uh, that are what the Bible says. I'm talking about truly born again uh, individual. Uh, a Christian that the Bible defines as uh, one that has trusted, trusted Christ as their uh, personal Savior and that are living for them or living for Him. You might say, how could that be? How can you find an actual Christian in, a, in another religion like that, uh, that that's truly saved, someone that's truly saved? Well, it could be that they grew up in a good church and heard about the gospel and received Christ as their Savior as a child. That happens. And then what happened? Well, maybe they, when they growed up some, uh, their access to a good church became uh, unavailable. Maybe they married into a, a, a spouse that is actively uh, uh, going to a Catholic church or a Mormon church or, or some other church. Hey, look, let me stop here. Baptist, Baptist folk is a, is a breeding ground for Mormons to come. And, and, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of Mormons were ex-Baptists. Why is that? Because a lot of Baptists, they, they carry, they like to carry this, but a lot of Baptists don't like to read it. A lot of Baptists don't like to study it. So uh, they, they, they get the right, the right person 
come talk to them. Hey, hey, buddy, let me let me show you something besides uh, this this good book you got right here. It's called the Book of Mormon. Let me give this to you and read. And, and it's a shame they'll they'll read that, but they don't want to read the Bible. The next thing you know, they're going to church with the Mormons. But anyway, like I was saying, it's it's very well possible to see a Christian in another denomination like that. Now, however that happens, we must realize that there are true Christians that could be in those denominations, but that's not to say that all denominations are okay. I I I would not suggest anyone go to a Catholic church. I wouldn't suggest anyone go to a Mormon church or anyone go to a Jehovah's Witness church. I wouldn't suggest any of those things. I wouldn't say that's okay. But there are some uh, true Christians in, those, in those, uh, those, those denominations because it's a possibility that they may have gotten saved beforehand just, un, uh, uh, just unaware of what's going on uh, in, the, in the religion that they're in. Then I also say that not all Baptists are saved. Amen? I know a lot of people that call themselves Baptists. I wish they wouldn't. Hey, Bill Clinton called himself a Baptist. Well, he did. He was Southern Baptist, he said. He said. Whether you voted for him, I don't care. I mean, I ain't saying whether you voted for him or not. I don't care one way or the other. I'm just saying uh, we know his lifestyle, among others, they call themselves Baptists, and, and I, you'd wish they wouldn't say Baptist. It gives us a bad name, doesn't it? Let's get back to our story. Now, so how did they, these men, these magi, how did they discover the truth about our Lord? I'm going the long way about answering this, this uh, question. I know I am. But that's all right. How do, they, how do they know about the Lord and about, about this star? And that's a very good question. Now, I've read where these magi were originally part of a tribe in the Medes, uh, or of the Medes, or in the Medes, however you want to say it, back in the Persian Empire. Y'all have heard of the Persian Empire, right? The Medes and the Persians. You know, the laws of the Medes and Persians. Uh, Some of you are very familiar with the Persian Empire and the Bible history we have of it over in Daniel. Um, Think with me back to that book of Daniel. We have four young men who were godly men that lived among the most noble men of that empire. Okay? They were were slaves there. Those uh, most noble men there would have been what these magi are here. They would have been men who have been familiar with astrology. They would have been familiar with religions. They, they were uh, uh, dream interpreters. Remember, uh, a lot of them could interpret dreams, but just like Daniel could. But, of course, Daniel was a lot better at it because he had God on his side uh, for, for interpretation. But it's very well possible. Now, you remember Daniel, in the book of Daniel, we, see, we have a lot of prophecy there. It's possible that these men heard this prophecy of Daniel's, among other things that Daniel has said, and that they, from generation to generation, the Magi had told these prophecies to their children and to those that, that they were instructing, and here they are today. They remember what was said from Daniel. It's very well possible that he informed these guys of the coming Messiah or King. It's very well possible he, he could have told them about a sign from heaven that would show them the way to the king. It's even mentioned, look, that sign was even mentioned back in Numbers 24, 17 concerning a star. That star is capitalized, okay? 
And the word star can mean a ruler or a prince. So what better sign to bring the Magi uh, to the king than a sign of the king, a star? But then you also have Daniel's prophetic words concerning the 70 weeks. I mean, these guys were smart. They were, they were brilliant men. They could have put this stuff together, I'm sure. So it's possible that these magi passed down this knowledge from generation to generation until that star was seen in the heavens. And some think that star was, uh, might have been the Shekinah glory. Uh, who knows? It could have been. It may have been. I don't know. We don't, it doesn't say. But they knew to follow it. They knew that star hadn't been there. Something different about that star. It may, it may have been more like a comet since it moved like it did. Now I can't say for certain how this played out. But we can say that it is a possibility that it happened that way. The other thing we see here that it seems that the Magi expected King Herod and those others around them to have been as joyful and anxious as they were for the arrival of the King of the Jews. They just come up to King Herod, you know, hey, where's, where's this King of the Jews going to be born? Yeah, we, we've seen the star in the east and we followed it here. They, they just assumed that they would be excited about it too. Hey, this is something that we've been expecting this because, you know, maybe our forefathers have been telling us about this star that's going to come, that, that's going to come and show us and lead us to the king. You would think they would be excited about it. Who knows? But you and I are to remember now not, that not everyone is excited about serving the Lord as we are. Even here at our church, our little Jerusalem. We, we may have people that's not as excited in, in, their, in their faith as others. Many people, many people go to church for the wrong reasons. And if this morning maybe you're here for the wrong reason, I don't care one way or the other. I'm just glad you're here. And I pray that if you are here for the wrong reason, that the Holy Spirit will get a hold of you and allow you to repent and, get, and be here for the right reasons. If not today, maybe next Sunday. I want you here. I don't care what your reason is, I want you here. Because when you're here, the Holy Spirit may be able to work on you. May be able to help you. Now let's move on to point two. The, their, excuse me, their earnestness to find the king. Their earnestness to find the king. This is verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. Verse 3 says, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled... And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. The Magi here were so diligent in their search for the king that they stopped by Jerusalem to ask. They had to know. They had to find out where this king was going to be born. They had to find him. It wasn't good enough that they were near him. They had to find him. 
And it could be that this, has been, this was the last place that they saw the star up to this moment. So they stopped here. Here we find that not only uh, the present king, wicked as he was, uh, but also the entire city was troubled at the sayings of the Magi. They were, th- did you see that in verse, um, verse 3? He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. They were, they were upset about this. Something was going on. Why is that? Why would this be? Well, it may, may have been due to the caravan of people coming into the city. We have been programmed throughout uh, the ages to think that there were only three wise men, three, three magi that visited. We've been programmed to think that, right? From the Christmas plays and stuff that we've been to. But it is possible and more probable that there were many, maybe up to a hundred or more. Some think maybe 300 people in a caravan. To be honest, even today, if we saw a caravan of uh, uh, that many people coming into our neighborhood uh, of, 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 of a different ethnic background or different culture, we'd be, what's going on? Yeah. We, we would do the same thing. It's just natural for us. So it would, it would be natural for Jerusalem to be, you know, what's going on here? I mean, you've got a whole lot of people coming into town. They're going straight to the king. Who, who are they? What's going on? So that, that's the, uh, a good possibility of what was going on there. Now, the idea that there were only three uh, magi is due to the fact that there were only three gifts that were named. There were only three gifts that were named. The naming of these uh, three in particular was significant in themselves, but there could have been a lot more gifts. Okay, and we'll look at that later. Uh, the naming of these gifts in particular was significant uh, well, I'll, I'll wait and we'll wait and get to that when, they, when we get to them. But uh, Herod was smart here. We see that he was smart in, in bringing the chief priests and the scribes. These, these were the religious rulers. If, if anybody knew anything about uh, a coming uh, king uh, of the Jews, it would have been them. He was smart in bringing them and asking them uh, about the birth of this king. They knew the scriptures. They studied them daily. It was their life. It wasn't their job. Uh, it was their job, but it was their life too. They, they delved themselves in the scriptures. All right? And as we see here, they had no problem whatsoever in explaining to these, uh, to these magi the prophecy of the scriptures to them. They gave Herod and, and these magi here uh, the prophecy written in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where it says... But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, thou, uh, though thou be little among the thousands of, Jude, uh, excuse me, of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Now, these men were so knowledgeable in the sacred writings that they, without hesitation, like I said, could tell Herod where the child would be born. They, it's going to be in Bethlehem. They didn't have to go look that up. They knew it. They knew it. Yet, when given the knowledge that the Magi gave to them concerning the star, they could care less. These priests and, and scribes, they didn't care they saw some star up there and, and it led them to him. They didn't care. They had no, they, they had, had no time for them. Who are these Magi to tell us something about the sacred scripture and about our God and our King. Really. 
J.C. Ryle says this in his commentary, that familiarity with sacred things has an awful tendency to make men despise them. Let me say that again. Familiarity with sacred things has an awful tendency to make men despise them. See, these men took their job seriously. They knew the word. The scribes and Pharisees, they, or the priests there, they, they knew. They knew the word. But yet they could care less about the fulfillment of the word. A lot of times you'll see this in churches. You will. Those who are the most faithful are sometimes the most callous. Do you hear me? Sometimes the most faithful are the most callous. Because they feel like, well, anything I get done with her, I've got to do it. And they get callous. They get caught up in the legalistic side of religion. And they forget about the worship side of things. We have to be careful of this kind of attitude in our own lives. We can put too much emphasis on, in the reading and the studying of the Word of God and forget to obey the simple commands of the Word. Things like, love thy wife as thyself, men. Or, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, children. Or even, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, adults. We forget these things, don't we? We mustn't forget the caring of the word in our hearts, not just our minds. It's good to have it up here, but we've got to have it in here too. It's not enough just to know it. It's not enough just to know it. What's the old saying? Uh, how, how, how many inches is it uh, for a person uh, to go to heaven or hell? The distance between heaven and hell for them, what, 16 from their head to their heart? They can have the head knowledge, but they can never have the heart knowledge. They'll go to hell. I probably butchered that, but I think you get the gist of it. we got to have it in our hearts. Point three. They were inquired by the present king. They were inquired by the present king. This is verses seven and eight. It says here, Then Herod... When he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. As you dramatized version of that. Now, let us not think that Herod was sincere in wanting to worship the king. All right? That he wasn't sincere in, in wanting to, the, to go worship the, the, the child that was to be born. His sincerity was only in knowing where the child was born so that he could destroy him. With some people, you will find that when they gain knowledge of the sacred scriptures of the Bible here, that it only makes them more wicked. I'm saying some people, the more they know about with this word right here, it makes them worse. Because they don't have it in here. They've got it up here. Herod gained the knowledge that there would be, there would indeed be a king born. Born in Bethlehem at that. But this knowledge of the truth only made Herod more wicked than before. For it caused him to plan to murder a baby in order to preserve his own throne. As he did numerous other people. It was a, I think it was a saying that, that went around. You're better off being one of Herod's swine than one of his sons. 
Because he'd kill you in a heartbeat. He'd kill family members in a heartbeat just to preserve his throne. Many people today use the scripture in order to manipulate others and to rule over them by religious or with religious purposes. The funnel, in the independent fundamental Baptist movement, that has happened quite a bit. It has happened quite a bit. Uh, I won't give the name, but one very famous independent fundamental Baptist pastor used his authority to manipulate an underage girl. And now he's in prison, and, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. But he used, used his authority as what he felt like the Bible gave him to do what he wanted to do. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful ourselves not to use the, God, not to use the Word of God for, self, uh, for selfish or wicked purposes. Man is head of the family. We need to rightly divine the, the word, of, word of God. As a pastor, I need, to, I need to do the same. The Bible gives me authority, but it does not give me absolute authority. Some pastors believe they have the absolute authority and they don't have to go to anybody in the church. I don't agree with that. There's some checks and balances here. Then lastly, we have their excitement to find the king. Their excitement to find the king. This is verses 9 through 12. Let me take a moment and read this. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which, when, excuse me, which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Now it seems that the star in which that they saw in the east may have disappeared for a time, giving them a chance to stop by Jerusalem and inform the church leaders, the priests and the, and the scribes there, uh, of what they had seen. Uh, this, if this is so, this would have been God preparing the scribes and priests to get ready if they were inclined to do so. All right? Uh, but we know from the Bible that they had no desire to worship the king of kings. They, they did not accept him at all, for the most part. There were some uh, of, of the Pharisees and stuff that, that took to him, but, but not for the majority. No, they didn't. And for whatever reason that this happened, that, the, that they stopped by Jerusalem and then they saw the star again, uh, we see that the star did appear once, once again, and they followed it to a house where the star stood over it. Did you notice here that it says house in the, in the Bible here in these verses? A lot of people have been misguided about the time uh, when the Magi had arrived in Bethlehem because of the Christmas plays that we, we have. Christmas plays have messed up a lot of stuff, a lot of doctrine or a lot of, a lot of uh, yeah, doctrine here uh, for us to uh, uh, it just messes a lot of stuff up 
with what with what they got going on. But um, but sad to say, it it was not the same time when the shepherds came to see the baby in the manger. Those were two different events. Did not happen anywhere near each other. Okay, All right, this may have been as many as two years from the Lord's birth. Quite possibly. I say this for a couple of reasons. Let me explain by giving you some scripture uh, out of the book of Luke. Now, let me interject this by saying, uh, when we find error in our thinking, we need to take time to correct it, no matter how minute it is. You say, okay, so it wasn't at the same time as the as uh, shepherds. Okay, well, I want to explain it to you so we know why it wasn't at the same time, okay? We need, it, we need to, to know the truth, uh, not just uh, what we hear. We need to know biblically, biblically why we know this or why we, why we understand it. Luke chapter 2, verse 21 through 24. You don't have to turn there. I got it right here. Um, but it says, it says this. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. 24, verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You say, what has this got to do with anything? Well, let, let me explain it. Two very important things we see here. First, back in our text, in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2, which we didn't read. I got it right here. Let me read this. This is going to be for next week's, but I just want to read this to you. It says, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared, appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the child, the young child to, uh, to destroy him. Okay? All right. We see this, that after the Magi left, the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, telling him to go to Egypt because of Herod and, and his wicked uh, 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 plan to, to murder the baby. Now, here in Luke, we see that Joseph and Mary had no issue with taking the baby to Jerusalem to present him uh, to the Lord. This is something that Joseph would not have done uh, had he been instructed to leave straight to Egypt. So we know these are two different times for that reason. There's another reason. We see that they had to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in, uh, in the law of the Lord. Uh, here it said a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. All right? A pair of birds, one or the other. In the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter thir- no, excuse me, chapter 12, uh, the entire chapter, which isn't but eight, eight verses there, talks about the offering that the mother would give when she has a child. It's very interesting. Um, she used to bring, listen to this, she used to bring a lamb for the burnt offering, okay, and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. Either, well, she's supposed to bring the lamb and one of those two birds, one of them, for the sin offering. You got the burnt offering, the lamb, sin offering was one of the birds, okay? But the Lord made a way for someone who could not afford a lamb. A lot of families were poor. They could not afford to, to sacrifice the lamb. 
But God made a way. Listen to what he says for those who were not able to do that, couldn't afford it. Verse 8 of Leviticus 12 says, And if she be not able to bring a lamb, meaning she couldn't afford one, okay, then she shall bring two turtles, which turtle doves, or two young pigeons, the one for the burnt offering, one, one of those birds is going to substitute the lamb for the burnt offering, and then the other for the sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Now, if the, if the Magi had come at the very birth of our Lord, then Mary could have easily bought or purchased a lamb with the gold that was given her. Would you see that? That she wouldn't have had any issue at all about affording a lamb to be able to, to, for the burnt offering. If they had met prior uh, to, to the time that we know that they, uh, that they did meet her. So it wasn't at the same time that the sh uh, shepherds met uh, in the manger. Okay? It was at, it was at their house. And here's something else that I picked up while studying. It, 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 for whatever reason, I guess because I was on Catholics today, but um, uh, this text refutes the Catholics' view of Mary being sinless. The fact that she had to offer a sin offering. Mary had to offer a sin offering. She had one of those birds, the, the turtle dove or, or the pigeon, whichever one she had that she offered, that was for her sin offering. That tells us right there that Mary was not sinless. Why would someone sinless have to offer a, a sacrifice for a sin offering? Now I'm going to make mention of these three gifts right quick that we have named here. Uh, there is obviously some symbolism in these gifts. First, the gold, gold was fitting, uh, a fitting present, a fitting gift to give uh, someone of royalty. Back in that time, uh, when you went and visited a king or, or, or somebody of royalty like that, you brought them gold as an offering, as a gift. All right? Then next you have frankincense. Now this was used mainly by priests in worship. Listen to what uh, uh, R.C. Sproul says here. He was a uh, Presbyterian, I believe, uh, pastor down in uh, Florida. He had this in his commentary. Central to Jewish worship in the tabernacle and then in the temple was the altar of incense which was in, which was tended by the priest he says it symbolized the sweet aroma and fragrance of the prayers of god or excuse me the prayers of god's people to him matthew in his gospel makes much of jesus being both king and priest okay so he was he's saying that he was given uh, the frankincense because it would symbolize him being our priest the gold symbolized him being our king. All right? And then the third gift. Let's see. Oh, did I skip something? Oh, oh yeah, that of myrrh. Myrrh. I knew I missed one of them. Uh, the third gift of myrrh. This ointment was used mainly for the anointing the dead at the time of their burial. If you remember in the Gospels, we even uh, spoke about this in, in our study through John. Um, that when our Lord Jesus was in, laid in the tomb, that the women came early in the morning with precious uh, spices in order to anoint the Lord's body, though he wasn't there, you remember? Uh, and myrrh uh, is what they would have used at that time. That's what they would have used. And so in these three gifts that were named, we see Christ fulfilling each of these things for us. He became our priest once we received him as our Savior. All the offerings that have ever uh, been needed for us, all our sin offerings, all our burnt offerings, all, all the offerings that we had to have had in, in order for us to be right with God, He's already taken care of that for us. He was our offering. 
He offered Himself for us. He became our priest. And once He's our priest, He becomes our King, reigning in our lives as the most wonderful ruler of all. Because of this, because, and we have these two things, excuse me, we have Him as our priest, we have Him as our King because of Him being our sacrifice. And we can now enjoy Him as our King and our priest because He is our sacrifice. He did come to die. Today, do you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? He came to this earth for the purpose of paying a ransom that is, uh, that is on each of our lives because of the sin that we've committed. His death on the cross was sufficient payment for your sins. What He done, the sacrifice He gave, which was Himself, was your sin offering. It was your sin offering. All you have to do is receive Him as your Lord and Savior, and He's paid it. The price has been paid. The price has been paid. Once you receive Him, that's when it's applied to your account. You see, if you haven't received Christ, the, the, the price has been paid, but it hasn't been applied yet. Once you receive Him, He applies it to your account. If you haven't, Will you take time to do that today? The most important decision any of us can make is receiving Christ as our Savior. This morning, I know this wasn't a, 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 a hoot and hollering kind of a sermon. I know I, you had to really pay attention in order to, to, to get something out of the message this morning. But if you don't get anything else, know this, that the price... For your sin, salvation, excuse me, has been paid through the blood of Christ. But has it been applied? If you've never received Christ as your Savior, receive Him today. Today is the day of salvation. Never put something like that off till tomorrow, because tomorrow never comes. Let's pray. Father, I thank You, Lord, for Your blessing. I thank You, Lord, for Your strength. 